Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading Chapter 6 and 7 of The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 6 Little John Goes to Nottingham Fair Spring had gone since the sheriff's feast in Sherwood, and summer also, and the mellow month of October had come. All the air was cool and fresh, the harvests were gathered home, the young birds were full-fledged, the hops were plucked, and apples were ripe. But though time had so smoothed things over that men no longer talked of the horned beasts that the sheriff wished to buy, he was still sore about the matter and could not bear to hear Robin Hood's name spoken in his presence. With October had come the time for holding the great fair which was celebrated every five years at Nottingham Town, to which folk came from far and near throughout the country. At such times, archery was always the main sport of the day, for the Nottinghamshire yearmen were the best hand at the longbow in all merry England. But this year, the sheriff hesitated a long time before he issued proclamation of the fair, fearing lest Robin Hood and his band might come to it. At first he had a great part of a mind not to proclaim the fair, but second thought told him that men would laugh at him and say among themselves that he was afraid of Robin Hood. So he put that thought by. At last he fixed his mind that he would offer such a prize as they would not care to shoot for. At such time, it had been the custom to offer a score of marks or a ton of ale, So this year, he proclaimed that a prize of two fat steers should be given to the best bowman. When Robin heard what had been proclaimed, 
he was vexed and said, Now beshrew this sheriff that he should offer such a prize that none but shepherd hinds will care to shoot for it. I would have loved nothing better than to have had another bout at merry Nottingham Town, but if I should win this prize, naught would it pleasure or profit me. Then up spoke little John. Nay, but hearken, good master, said he. Only today Will Stutley, young David of Doncaster, and I were at the sign of the Blue Boar, and there we heard all the news of this merry fair, and also that the sheriff hath offered this prize, that we of Sherwood might not care to come to the fair. So, good master, if thou wilt, I would fain go and strive to win even this poor thing among the stout yeomen who will shoot at Nottingham Town. Nay, little John, quoth Robin, thou art a sound, stout fellow, yet thou lackest the cunning that good Stutley hath, and I would not have harm befall thee for all Nottinghamshire. Nevertheless, if thou wilt go, take some disguise, lest there be those there who may know thee. So be it, good master, quoth little John. Yet all the disguise that I wish is a good suit of scarlet instead of this Lincoln green. I will draw the cowl of my jacket about my head, so that it will hide my brown hair and beard, and then I trust no one will know me. It is much against my will, said Robin Hood. Nevertheless, if thou dost wish it, get thee gone, but bear thyself seemingly, little John for thou art mine own right-hand man, and I could ill bear to have harm befall thee. So little John clad himself all in scarlet, and started off to the fair at Nottingham Town. Right merry were these fair days at Nottingham, when the green before the great town gate was dotted with booths standing in rows, with tents of many-coloured canvas, hung about with streamers and garlands of flowers, and the folk came from all the countryside, both gentle and common. In some booths there was dancing to merry music, in others flowed ale and beer, and in others yet, again sweet cakes and barley sugar were sold, and sport was going outside the booths also, where some minstrel sang ballads of the olden time, 
playing a second upon the harp, or where the wrestlers struggled with one another within the sawdust ring. But the people gathered most of all around a raised platform where stout fellows played at quarterstaff. So little John came to the fair. All scarlet were his hose and jerkin, and scarlet was his cowled cap, with a scarlet feather stuck in the side of it. Over his shoulders was slung a stout bow of yew, and across his back hung a quiver of good round arrows. Many turned to look after such a stout, tall fellow, for his shoulders were broader by a palm's breadth than any that were there, and he stood a head taller than all the other men. The lasses also looked at him askance, thinking they had never seen a lustier youth. First of all he went to the booth where stout ale was sold, and, standing aloft on a bench, he called to all that were near to come and drink with him. Hey, sweet lads, cried he, who will drink ale with a stout yeoman? Come all, come all, let us be merry, for the day is sweet and the ale is tingling. Come hither, good yeoman, and thou and thou, for not a farthing shall one of you pay. Nay, turn hither, thou lusty beggar, and thou jolly tinker, for all shall be merry with me. Thus he shouted, and all crowded around, laughing, while the brown ale flowed, and they called Little John a brave fellow, each swearing that he loved him as his own brother. For when one has entertainment with nothing to pay, one loves the man that gives it to one. Then he strolled to the platform where they were at cudgel play, for he loved about at quarterstaff as he loved meat and drink, and here befell an adventure that was sung in ballads throughout the mid-country for many a day. One fellow there was that cracked crowns of everyone who threw cap into the ring. This was Eric Lincoln, of great renown, whose name had been sung in ballads throughout the countryside. When little John reached the stand, he found none fighting, but only bold Eric walking up and down the platform, swinging his staff and shouting lustily, Now, who will come and strike a stroke for the lass he loves the best? With a good Lincolnshire yeoman. How now, lads? Step up, step up, or else the lass's eyes are not bright 
hereabouts, or the blood of Nottingham youth is sluggish and cold. Lincoln against Nottingham, say I, for no one hath put foot upon the boards this day, such as we of Lincoln call a cudgel player. At this, one would nudge another with his elbow, saying, Go thou, Ned, or go thou, Thomas, but no lad cared to gain a cracked crown for nothing. Presently Eric saw where little John stood among the others, a head and shoulders above them all, and he called to him loudly, Hello, thou long-legged fellow in scarlet, broad are thy shoulders and thick thy head, is not thy lass fair enough for thee to take cudgel in hand for her sake? In truth, I believe that Nottingham men do turn to bone and sinew, for neither heart nor courage have they. Now, thou great lout, wilt thou not twirl staff for Nottingham? I, quoth little John, had I but my own staff here, it would pleasure me hugely to crack thy knave's pate, thou saucy beggart. I wot it would be well for thee, and thy cock's comb were cut. Thus he spoke, slowly at first, for he was slow to move, but his wrath gathered headway like a great stone rolling down a hill so that at the end he was full of anger. Then Eric Lincoln laughed aloud. Well spoken for one who fears to meet me fairly, man to man, said he. Saucy art thou thine own self, and if thou puttest foot upon these boards, I will make thy saucy tongue rattle within thy teeth. Now, quoth little John, is there never a man here that will lend me a good stout staff till I try the metal of yon fellow? At this, half a score reached him their staves, and he took the stoutest and heaviest of them all. Then, looking up and down the cudgel, he said, Now I have in my hand but a splint of wood, a barley straw, as it were, yet I trow it will have to serve me, so here goeth. Thereupon he cast the cudgel upon the stand, and, leaping lightly after it, snatched it up in his hand again. Then each man stood in his place and measured the other with fell looks until that directed the sport cried, Play! At this they stepped forth, each grasping his staff tightly in the middle. Then those that stood around saw the stoutest game of quarter staff that e'er Nottingham Town beheld. 
At first, Erika Lincoln thought that he would gain an easy advantage, so he came forth as if he would say, Watch, good people, how that I carve you this cockerel right speedily. But he presently found it to be no such speedy matter. Right deftly he struck, and with great skill of fence, but he had found his match in little John. Once, twice, thrice he struck, and three times little John turned the blows to the left hand and to the right. Then quickly and with a dainty back-handed blow, he wrapped Eric beneath his guard so shrewdly that it made his head ring again. Then Eric stepped back to gather his wits, while a great shout went up, and all were glad that Nottingham had cracked Lincoln's crown, and thus ended the first bout of the game. Then presently the director of the sport cried, Play! And they came together again, but now Eric played warily, for he found his man was of right good metal, and also he had no sweet memory of the blow that he'd got. So this bout, neither Little John nor the Lincoln man caught a stroke within his guard. Then, after a while, they parted again, and this made the second bout. Then for the third time they came together, and at first Eric strove to be wary, as he had been before, but, growing mad at finding himself so foiled, he lost his wits and began to rain blows so fiercely and so fast that they rattled like hail on penthouse roof. But, in spite of all, he did not reach within Little John's guard. Then at last Little John saw his chance and seized it right cleverly. Once more, with a quick blow, he wrapped Eric beside the head, and ere he could regain himself, Little John slipped his right hand down to his left, and, with a swinging blow, smote the other so sorely upon the crown that down he fell, as though he would never move again. Then the people shouted so loud that folk came running from all about to see what was the ado, while little John leaped down from the stand and gave the staff back to him that had lent it to him. And thus ended the famous bout between little John and Eric Lincoln of great renown. But now the time had come when those who were to shoot with the longbow were to take their places. So the people began flocking to the butts where the shooting was to be. Near the target, in a good place, sat the sheriff upon a raised dais, with many gentle folk around him. 
when the archers had taken their places, the herald came forward and proclaimed the rules of the game, and how each should shoot three shots, and to him that should shoot the best, the prize of two fat steers was to belong. A score of brave shots were gathered there, and among them some of the keenest hands at the longbow in Lincoln and Nottinghamshire, and among them Little John stood taller than all the rest. Who is yon stranger clad in all scarlet? said some, and others answered, It is he that hath but now so soundly cracked the crown of Eric Lincoln. Thus the people talked among themselves, until at last it reached even the sheriff's ears. And now each man stepped forward and shot in turn, but though each shot well, Little John was the best of all, for three times he struck the clout, and once only the length of a barley corn from the centre. Hey for the tall archer, shouted the crowd, and some among them shouted, Hey for Reynold Greenleaf, for this was the name that Little John had called himself that day. Then the sheriff stepped down from the raised seat and came to where the archers stood, while adoff their caps they saw him coming. He looked keenly at Little John, but did not know him, though he said, after a while, How now, good fellow? Methinks there is that about thy face that I have seen erewhile. Mayhap it may be so, quoth Little John, for often have I seen your worship. And as he spoke, he looked steadily into the sheriff's eyes, so that the latter did not suspect who he was. A brave blade thou art, good friend, said the sheriff, and I hear that thou hast well upheld the skill of Nottinghamshire against that of Lincoln this day. What may be thy name, good fellow? Men do call me Reynold Greenleaf, your worship, said Little John, and the old ballad that tells of this adds, So, in truth, was he a Greenleaf? But of what manner of tree the sheriff wotted not? Now, Reynold Greenleaf, quoth the sheriff, Thou art the fairest hand at the longbow that mine eyes ever beheld. Next to that false knave, Robin Hood, from whose wiles heaven forfend me. Wilt thou join my service, good fellow? Thou shalt be paid right well, for these suits of cloth shall thou have a year, with a good food and as much ale as thou canst drink, and, besides this, I will pay you forty marks each Michael's must tide. There here stand I a free man, 
and right gladly will I enter thy household, said little John, for he thought he might find some merry jest should he enter the sheriff's service. Fairly hast thou won the fat steers, said the sheriff, and hereunto I will add a butt of good March beer, for joy of having gotten such a man, for, I wot, thou shootest as fair a staff as Robin Hood himself. Then, said little John, for joy of having gotten myself into thy service, I will give fat steers and brown ale to all these good folk to make them merry withal. At this arose a great shout, many casting their caps aloft for joy of the gift. Then some built great fires and roasted the steers, and others broached the butt of ale with which all made themselves merry. Then, when they had eaten and drunk as much as they could, and when the day faded and the great moon arose, all red and round, over the spires and towers of Nottingham Town, they joined hands and danced around the fires, to the music of bagpipes and harps. But long before this merry-making had begun, the sheriff and his new servant, Reynold Greenleaf, were in the castle of Nottingham. Chapter 7 How Little John Lived at the Sheriff's Thus Little John entered into the Sheriff's service, and found the life he led there easy enough for the sheriff made him his right-hand man, and held him in great favour. He sat nigh the sheriff at meat, and he ran beside his horse when he went to hunting, so that, what with hunting and hawking a little, and eating rich dishes and drinking good sack, and sleeping until late hours in the morning, he grew as fat as a stool-fed ox. Thus things floated easily along with the tide, until one day, when the sheriff went a-hunting, there happened that which broke the smooth surface of things. This morning the sheriff and many of his men set forth to meet certain lords to go a-hunting. He looked all about him for his good man, Reynold Greenleaf, but, not finding him, was vexed, for he wished to show Little John's skill to his noble friends. As for Little John, he lay abed, snoring lustily, till the sun was high in the heavens. At last he opened his eyes and looked about him, but did not move to arise. Brightly shone the sun in at the window, and all the air was sweet with the scent of woodbine that hung in sprays about the wall without. 
for the cold winter was past and spring was coming again, and little John lay still, thinking how sweet was everything on this fair morn. Just then he heard, faint and far away, a distant bugle note sounding thin and clear. The sound was small, but like a little pebble dropped in a glassy fountain, it broke all the smooth surface of his thoughts, until his whole soul was filled with disturbance. His spirit seemed to awaken from its sluggishness, and his memory brought back to him all the merry greenwood life. How the birds were singing blithely there this bright morning, and how his loved companions and friends were feasting and making merry, or perhaps talking of him with sober speech, for when he first entered the sheriff's service, he did so in jest. But the hearthstone was warm during the winter, and the fair was full, and so he had abided, putting off from day to day his going back to Sherwood until six long months had passed. But now he thought of his good master and of Will Stutley, whom he loved better than anyone in all the world, and of young David Doncaster, whom he had trained so well in all manly sports, till there came over his heart a great and bitter longing for them all so that his eyes filled with tears. Then he said aloud, Here I grow fat like a stool-fed ox, and all my manliness departeth from me, while I become a sluggard and adult. But I will arouse me, and go back to mine own dear friends once more, and never will I leave them again, till life doth leave my lips. So saying, he leaped from bed, for he hated his sluggishness now. When he came downstairs, he saw the steward standing near the pantry door, a great fat man with a huge bundle of keys hanging to his girdle. Then little John said, Ho, Master Steward, A hungry man am I, for naught have I had for all this blessed morn. Therefore, give me to eat. Then the steward looked grimly at him and rattled the keys in his girdle, for he hated little John because he had found favour with the sheriff. So, Master Reynold Greenleaf, thou art an hungered Art thou? quoth he. But, fair youth, if thou livest long enough, thou will find that he who getteth overmuch sleep for an idle head goeth with an empty stomach. For what saith the old saw, Master Greenleaf? Is it not the late fowl findeth but ill faring? Now, Thou great purse of fat, 
cried little John. I ask thee not for fool's wisdom, but for bread and meat. Who art thou, that thou shouldst deniest me to eat? By Saint Dustin, thou hast best tell me where my breakfast is, if thou wouldst save broken bones. Thy breakfast, Master Fireblaze, is in the pantry, answered the steward. Then fetch it hither, cried Little John, who waxed angry by this time. Go thou and fetch it thine own self, quoth the steward. Am I thy slave to fetch and carry for thee? I say, go thou, bring it me. I say, go thou, fetch it for thyself. I marry, that will I, right quickly, quoth little John in a rage. And, so saying, he strode to the pantry and tried to open the door, but found it locked. Whereat the steward laughed and rattled his keys. Then the wrath of little John boiled over, and, lifting his clenched fist, he smote the pantry door, bursting out three panels and making so large an opening that he could easily stoop and walk through it. When the steward saw what was done, he waxed mad with rage. And, as little John stooped to look within the pantry, he seized him from behind by the nape of the neck, pinching him sorely and smiting him over the head with his keys till the yearman's ears rang again. At this little John turned upon the steward and smote him such a buffet that the man fell to the floor and lay there as though he would never move again. There, quoth little John, think well of that stroke, and never keep a good breakfast from a hungry man again. So saying, he crept into the pantry, and looked about himself, to see if he could find something to appease his hunger. He saw a great venison pasty, and two roasted capons, best side which a platter of plover eggs. Moreover, there was a flask of sack and one of canary, a sweet sight to a hungry man. These he took down from the shelves and placed upon a sideboard and prepared to make himself merry. Now the cook in the kitchen across the courtyard, heard the loud talking between Little John and the steward, and also the blow that Little John struck the other, so he came running across the court and up the stairway to where the steward's pantry was, bearing his hands to the spit with the roasts still upon it. Meanwhile, The steward had gathered his wits about him and risen to his feet, so that when the cook came to the steward's pantry, he saw him glowering through the broken door at little John, who was making ready for a good repast, as one dog glowers at another 
that has a bone. When the steward saw the cook, he came to him, and, putting one arm over his shoulder, Alas, sweet friend, quoth he, for the cook was a tall, stout man. Seest thou what thy vile knave Reynold Greenleaf hath done? He hath broken in upon our master's goods, and hath smitten me a buffet upon the ear, so that I thought I was dead. Good cook, I love thee well, and thou shalt have a good pottle of our master's best wine every day, for thou art an old and faithful servant. Also, good cook, I have ten shillings that I mean to give as a gift to thee. But hatest thou not to see a vile upstart like Reynold Greenleaf taking it upon him so bravely? I marry, that do I, quoth the cook boldly, for he liked the steward because of his talk of the wine and of the ten shillings. Get thee gone straightway to thy room, and I will bring out this knave by his ears. So saying, he laid aside his spit and drew the sword that hung by his side, whereupon the steward left as quickly as he could, for he hated the sight of naked steel. Then the cook walked straightway to the broken pantry door, through which he saw little John tucking a napkin beneath his chin and preparing to make himself merry. Why, how now, Reynold Greenleaf, said the cook, Thou art no better than a thief, I wot. Come thou straight forth, man, or I will carve thee as I would carve a sucking pig. Nay, good cook, bear thou thyself more seemingly, or else I will come forth to thy dole. At most times I am as yearling lamb, but when one cometh between me and my meat, I am a raging lion, as it were. Lion or no lion, quoth the varilous cook, come thou straight forth, else thou art a coward heart as well as a knavish thief. Ha! cried little John, coward's name have I never had, so look to thyself, good cook. For I come forth straight, the roaring lion I did speak of but now. Then he, too, drew his sword and came out of the pantry. Then, putting themselves into position, they came slowly together with grim and angry looks. But suddenly little John lowered his point. Hold, good cook, said he. Now, I bethink me it were ill of us to fight with good victuals sanding so nigh, and such a feast as would befit two stout fellows such as we are. Marry, good friend, I think we should enjoy this fair feast ere we fight. What sayest thou, jolly cook? 
and this speech the cook looked up and down, scratching his head in doubt, for he loved good feasting. At last he drew a long breath and said to little John, Well, good friend, I like thy plan right well, so, pretty boy, say I, let us feast with all my heart, for one of us may sup in paradise before nightfall. So each thrust his sword back into the scabbard and entered the pantry. Then, after they had seated themselves, little John drew his dagger and thrust it into the pie. A hungry man must be fed, quoth he. So, sweet Chuck, I help myself without leave. But the cook did not lag far behind, for straightway his hands also were deeply thrust within the goodly pasty. After this, neither of them spoke further, but used their teeth to better purpose. But though neither spoke, they looked at one another, each thinking within themselves that he had never seen a more lusty fellow than the one across the board. At last, after a long time had passed, the cook drew a full, deep breath, and as though of much regret, and wiped his hands upon the napkin, for he could eat no more. Little John also had enough, for he pushed the pasty aside, and thought he would say, I want thee by me no more, good friend. Then he took the pottle of sack, and said he, Now, good fellow, I swear by all that is bright, that thou art the stoutest companion at eating that ever I had. Lo, I drink thy health. So saying, he clapped the flask to his lips and cast his hands aloft, while the good wine flooded his throat. Then he passed the pottle to the cook, who also said, Lo, I drink thy health, sweet fellow, nor was he behind little John in drinking any more than in eating. Now, quoth little John, thy voice is right round and sweet, jolly lad. I doubt not thou canst sing a ballad most blithely, canst thou not? Truly, I have trolled one now and then, quoth the cook, yet I would not sing alone. Nay, truly, said Little John, that were but ill courtesy. Strike up thy ditty, and I will afterwards sing one to match it, if I can. So be it, pretty boy, quoth the cook, and hast thou e'er heard the song of the deserted shepherdess? Truly I know not, answered Little John, but sing thou and let me hear. Then the cook took another draught from the pottle and, clearing his throat, sang the song. Now, by my faith, cried Little John, 
That same is a good right song, and hath truth in it also. Glad am I thou likest it, sweet lad, said the cook. Now sing thou one also, for ne'er should a man be merry alone, or sing and list not. Then I will sing thee a song of a right good knight of Arthur's court, and how he cured his heart's wound without running upon the dart again, as did thy Phyllis, for I wot she did but cure one smart by giving herself another. So, list thou whilst I sing another song. Now by my faith, cried the cook, as he rattled the pottle against the sideboard, I like that same song hugely, and eke the motive of it, which lieth like a sweet kernel in a hazelnut. Now thou art a man of shrewd options, quoth little John, and I love thee truly as thou wert my brother, and I love thee too, but the day draweth on, and I have my cooking to do ere our master cometh home, so let us e'en go and settle this brave fight we have in hand. I marry, quoth little John, and that right speedily. Ne'er have I been more luggard in fighting than in eating and drinking. So come thou straight forth into the passageway, where there is good room to swing a sword, and I will try to serve thee. Then they both stepped forth into the broad passage that led to the steward's pantry, where each man drew his sword again, and without more ado, fell upon the other as though he would hew his fellow limb from limb. Then their swords clashed upon one another with great din, and sparks flew from each blow in showers. So they fought up and down the hall for an hour or more, neither striking the other a blow, though they strove their best to do so. For both were skillful at the fence, so nothing came of all their labor. Ever and anon they rested, panting, then, after getting their wind, at it they would go again more fiercely than ever. At last little John cried aloud, Hold, good cook, whereupon each rested upon his sword, panting. Now will I make my vow, quoth little John, Thou art the very best swordsman that ever mine eyes beheld. Truly, I had thought to carve their ear now. And I had thought to do the same by thee, quoth the cook, but I have missed the mark somehow. Now I have been thinking with myself, quoth little John, what we are fighting for, but albeit I do not rightly know. Why, no more do I, said the cook, I bear no love for that Percy steward 
but I thought that we had engaged to fight with one another, and that it must be done. Now, quoth little John, it doth seem to me that instead of striving to cut one another's throats, it were better for us to be boon companions. What sayest thou, jolly cook? Wilt thou go with me to Sherwood Forest, and join with Robin Hood's band? Thou shalt live a merry life within the woodlands, and seven score good companions shalt thou have, one of whom is mine own self. Thou shalt have three suits of Lincoln Green each year, and forty marks in pay. Now, Thou art a man after my own heart, cried the cook right heartily, and, as thou speakest of it, that is the very service for me. I will go with thee, and that right gladly. Give me thy palm, sweet fellow, and I will be thine own companion from henceforth. What may be thy name, lad? Men do call me Little John, good fellow. How, and art thou indeed Little John, and Robin Hood's own right-hand man? Many a time and oft I heard of thee, but never did I hope to set eyes upon thee. And thou art indeed the famous Little John. And the cook seemed lost in amazement, and looked upon his companion with open eyes. I am little John, indeed, and I will bring to Robin Hood this day a right stout fellow to join his merry band. But ere we go, good friend, it seemeth to me to be a vast pity that, as we have had so much of the sheriff's food, we should not also carry off some of his silver plate to Robin Hood, as a present from his worship. Aye, marry is it, said the cook, and so they began hunting about, and took as much silver as they could lay their hands upon, clapping it into a bag, and when they had filled the sacks, they set forth to Sherwood Forest. Plunging into the woods, they came at last to the greenwood tree, where they found Robin Hood and three score of his men lying upon the fresh green grass. When Robin and his men saw who it was that came, they leaped to their feet. Now welcome, cried Robin Hood. Now welcome, little John. For long hath it been since we have heard from thee, though we all knew that thou hast joined the sheriff's service, and how hast thou fared all these long days? Right merrily have I lived at the Lord Sheriff's, answered little John, and I have come straight thence. See, good master, I have brought thee his cook, and even his silver plate. Thereupon he told Robin Hood and his merry men that were they there, all that had befallen him since 
had left them to go to the fair at Nottingham Town. Then all shouted with laughter, except Robin Hood, but he looked grave. Nay, little John, said he, thou art a brave blade and a trusty fellow. I am glad thou hast brought thyself back to us, and with such a good companion as the cook, whom we all welcome to Sherwood. But I like not so well that thou hast stolen the sheriff's plate like some paltry thief. The sheriff hath been punished by us, and hath lost three hundred pounds, even as he sought to despoil another, but he hath done naught that we should steal his household plate from him. Though little John was vexed with this, he strove to pass it off with a jest. Nay, good master, quoth he, if thou thinkest the sheriff gave us not the plate, I will fetch him, that he may tell us with his own lips he give it us all. So saying, he leaped to his feet and was gone before Robin could call him back. Little John ran for full five miles, till he came to where the sheriff of Nottingham and a gay company were hunting near the forest. When little John came to the sheriff, he doffed his cap and bent his knee. God save thee, good master, quoth he. Why, Reynold Greenleaf, cried the sheriff, whence comest thou, and where hast thou been? I have been in the forest, answered little John, speaking amazedly, and there I saw a sight such as ne'er before man's eyes beheld. Yonder I saw a young heart, all in green from tip to toe, and about him was a herd of threescore deer, and they, too, were all of green from head to foot. Yet I dare not shoot, good master, for fear lest they should slay me. Why, how now, Reynold Greenleaf, cried the sheriff, Art thou dreaming or art thou mad, that thou dost bring me such a tale? Nay, I am not dreaming, nor am I mad, said little John, and if thou wilt come with me, I will show thee this fair sight, for I have seen it with my own eyes. But thou must come alone, good master, lest the others frighten them and then get away. So the party all rode forward, and little John led them downward into the forest. Now, good master, quoth he at last, we are nigh where I saw this herd. Then the sheriff descended from his horse, and bade them wait for him until he should return. And little John led him forward, through a close copse until suddenly they came to a great open glade, at the end of which Robin Hood sat beneath the shade of the great 
oak tree, with his merry men all about him. See, good master sheriff, quoth little John, yonder is the heart of which I spoke to thee. At this the sheriff turned to little John, and said bitterly, Long ago I thought I remembered thy face, but now I know thee. Woe betide thee, little John, for thou hast betrayed me this day. In the meantime, Robin Hood had come to them. Now welcome, Master Sheriff, said he. Hast thou come today to take another feast with me? Nay, heaven forbid, said the sheriff in tones of deep earnest. I care for no feast and have no hunger today. Nevertheless, quoth Robin, if thou hast no hunger, maybe thou hast thirst, and well I know thou wilt take a cup of sack with me. But I am grieved that thou wilt not feast with me, for thou couldst have fixed jewels to thy liking, for there stands thy cook. Then he led the sheriff, willy-nilly, to the seat he knew so well beneath the greenwood tree. Ho, lads, cried Robin, fill our good friend the sheriff a right-bringing cup of sack, and fetch it hither for he is faint and weary. Then once the band brought the sheriff a cup of sack, bowing low as he handed it to him, but the sheriff could not touch the wine, for he saw it served in one of his own silver flagons, on one of his own silver plates. How now, quoth Robin, Dost thou not like our new silver service? We have gotten a bag of this day. So saying, he held up the sack of silver that little John and the cook had brought with them. Then the sheriff's heart was bitter within him, but, not daring to say anything, he only gazed upon the ground. Robin looked keenly at him for a time before he spoke again. Then said he, Now, Master Sheriff, the last time thou camest to Sherwood Forest, thou didst come seeking to despoil a poor spendthrift, and thou wert despoiled thine own self. But now thou comest seeking to do no harm, nor do I know that thou hast despoiled any man. I take my tits from fat priests and lordly squires to help those that they despoil and to raise up those that they bow down. But I know not that thou hast tenants of thine own whom thou hast wronged in any way. Therefore, take thou thine own again, nor will I dispossess thee today of so much as one farthing. Come with me, and I will lead thee from the forest back to thine own party again. Then, slinging the bag upon his shoulder, he turned away, the sheriff following him, 
all too perplexed in mind to speak. So they went forward until they came to within a furlong of the spot where the sheriff's companions were waiting for him. Then Robin Hood gave the sack of silver back to the sheriff. Take thou thine own again, he said, and hearken to me, good sheriff. Take thou a piece of advice with it. Try thy servants well, ere dost engage them again so readily. Then, turning, he left the other standing bewildered with the sack in his hands. The company that waited for the sheriff were all amazed to see him come out of the forest bearing a heavy sack upon his shoulders, but though they questioned him, he answered never a word, acting like one who walks in a dream. Without a word, he placed the bag across his nag's back, and then, mounting, rode away, all following him. But all the time there was a great turmoil of thoughts within his head, tumbling one over the other. And thus ends the merry tale of Little John and how he entered the sheriff's service. <laughs>